Last week we were in the front chapter of, uh, well, the end chapter really of chapter four, and we talked about a couple of taboos or don't do's that James gives in the end of chapter four there when he said, don't speak evil of anyone and people can have a mistaken confidence about what they're going to do in the future. And it was interesting to me as reading through it, um, I was reminded kind of in post my time with you last week that actually uh, the subject matter goes on through into chapter 5, verse 6. So I want to draw your eyes backward to the first verse of chapter 5 as James is, is again talking about a mistaken confidence to the wealthy that said they would go to this place or that place, stay a year and make a profit. And he said in verse 1 of chapter 5, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. And that's a clue as to where he's going with this. Indeed, verse 4, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. And so that theme of a word to his brethren, to Christians about not speaking evil against others and be careful of having a mistaken confidence about what you will do in the future for no one is promised tomorrow runs all the way through to that sixth verse in chapter 5. And with that in mind, he now turns his attention the verses we read in congregationally as we stood, he now turns his attention to a direct corollary to the judgment that was going to come upon the wicked in speaking to his brethren that are waiting for the Lord. You see, the early church in James's day lived with an expectation excuse me, that the Lord was going to come back immediately. And not only James, but the Apostle Paul, Peter, and others have addressed this vital perspective in the life of every believer, the fact of his second coming. And it was to be a comfort to all who had placed their faith in Christ. Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, speak so directly about the Lord's second coming. Yesterday, Pastor Austin did such a wonderful job in our celebration of life of Laura Jean marrying. And 
Pastor Austin reminded those of us that were here that the Bible doesn't teach Christians not to cry or to be bereaved, but the Bible teaches Christians that we do this differently because we have a hope. And the world doesn't have a hope. And the Bible teaches us that we are to sorrow, we are to weep with those who weep, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice, because we have a hope that the world doesn't have. And that those words, those truths, all uh, throughout Jesus' promises in the New Testament are to be a comfort to each one of us as believers. Peter addressed the doubt that those in his day had, and we've seen it run uh, quite often as well, that there are those who say, well, where is the promise of his coming? In his second letter, the third chapter, because some would say, well, since the, uh, the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's really changed. The Lord said he's coming back, but he hasn't come back. And Peter, in that same chapter of that same letter, says, Beloved, don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Now, our calendars reflect the fact that we live in in what's called A.D. It is uh, 2023 A.D. And traditionally, you can can argue the the, uh, more specific points, but Traditionally, A.D. began at the birth of Christ, and uh, B.C. was, uh, A.D. 1 began at the birth of Christ, and uh, B.C. ended, B.C. 1 was before his birth. That system of calendaring didn't really even uh, come into reality until about 525 A.D., and it wasn't accepted and followed until 800 AD. So you may have heard it said before, but it's worth repeating that if a thousand years is as a day to the Lord and a day is as a thousand years and and we're like, you know, 2,023 years since his birth, it's only been a couple of days. In the economy of God, the return of Christ, it's just been a couple of days. And Peter in that same letter says, but he will come, the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In which the heavens will pass away in a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, Peter says, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Remember what Jesus talked about in his uh, dialogue with the disciples. 
In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 36 and around, he says, But the day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you don't expect. In other words, it's not even in my registration determined. It's for the Father to determine that, it, okay, that is enough. Son, go back. And somewhere in that process, as the book of Romans tells us, 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 25, that the fullness of Gentiles will have come in. The last Gentile believer will give their life to the Lord and the Father will say, now. And so each generation really is to live in the expectation of the Lord's return. And James writes in the final portion of his letter, he writes regarding the coming of the Lord. And he gives what I've entitled this morning's message is two essentials regarding the coming of the Lord. He gives two essentials. They are, number one, what the, what the believer, the Christian, is to be, and then number two, what the believer or the Christian is to do. What we are to be and what we are to do. And so I want to take them in that order this morning. As we look again at verse 7 and 8, it's clear that he says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits. And so what he's saying to those believers that were going to read his letter, to those that were, it would circulate throughout the church, he was saying to them the first essential regarding the coming of the Lord, is to wait patiently. And you might say this morning, well, okay, I've been waiting a long time. When's he coming back? More on that in just a moment. Because in the New Testament, there are uh, three different words that describe the coming of the Lord. And I, I think if you're taking note this morning, it's certainly worth taking. Um, three different Greek words that describe the coming of the Lord. Uh, the first one and the most common one was a secular Greek word, and it was pronounced uh, parousia. And it had really three functions. One, parousia meant someone's presence and arrival. Number two, it was the invasion of a country by an army. And number three, it was the visit of a king to his empire. So when the word parousia is employed as it relates to Jesus, 
It's the final invasion of earth by heaven and the coming of a king to receive final submission and adoration from his subjects. Can I get a hallelujah? The second phrase in Greek that was used as it relates to the coming of the Lord was an ordinary Greek word pronounced uh, epiphania. And its meanings were twofold. Uh, The appearance of a God to worshipers. Number two, the ascension of an emperor like an imperial emperor and the power of Rome. And so as the uh, scriptures employ that to Jesus, it is God appearing to his worshipers both to those who are waiting and those who are not. The last phrase is probably more familiar to you, some of you anyway, this morning, something that we've heard before. It is an ordinary Greek word, and it was pronounced apocalypsis, and it means the unveiling. And we find that word, of course, In Revelation, the apocalypsis or unveiling of Jesus Christ. And so as you apply that to Jesus, he is unveiled in all of his glory and his power to men and women. And so Peter, in his letter to his readers, says that the day is definitely coming, whereas James says, here's what you're to be until that time comes. You are to be patiently waiting. And you say, well, I have been waiting. And the Lord would respond, yeah, I waited for you. There are other souls out there that are as valuable to me as you are and were. And I'm, I'm working on them. My spirit is, is in the world, convicting of sin and judgment, of the judgment to come. So hold on. Yesterday, oh, it was incredible. One of uh, Laura Jean's Maring's best friends named Helen said that when Laura Jean was young, uh, her sister, she, she, she was a, a very nice girl, Laura Jean. And her sister had said to her, Laura Jean, you need to get saved. And Laura Jean said, well, I haven't really done much wrong in my life. What am I to get saved from? And Helen yesterday says, I hope I have this boldness one day. Helen is 83. She's known Laura Jean a long time. And she said that that Laura Jean's sister said, from hell. (laughs) You know, our Father in heaven is waiting till those souls that have yet to be saved from an eternity apart from him come to him in faith. And so you and I, ushered into the kingdom of God by his grace and his mercies, we're to be patiently waiting. How do we flesh that out? 
How do we flesh that out in a world that we see filled with human injustices, war, corruption in government, broken families, death, deception? I think the answer this morning, of course, comes in the word wait or waiting. Because if you look it up in its, its uh, you know, Strong's lexicon, the, the definition, whatnot, and you, you apply it to various places in Scripture that we have the word wait or waiting, we find that it means to admit to hospitality. In other words, it's an active word. Admit to being hospitable to, uh, hospitable to others. To bind together. It's, it's a working term. To expect fully. And if you think about uh, the concept of a waiter in, an, in a restaurant, they do not sit in a chair waiting for you to be done. They're constantly at your table. Can I help you? They're back in the kitchen putting, clearing another. A waiter. That's how a waiter waits. They are busy. And so in the same breath, when the Lord says to his people, wait, we are to be waiting patiently Actively, and you say, in what way? Well, whatever way God calls you to be active. Because he calls us all differently. I love this phrase that came across our table years ago. And if you're wanting one of those scaffolding things to hang all of this truth on, here it is. Find where God is at work and get involved. Find a place that God is working and get involved. Whether that is activism in our nation, in our state, in our local uh, governments. Whether that is evangelism, where the the gospel message is being uh, preached and we uh, we see results and fruit from that whether that's missions, getting involved in seeing the gospel penetrated across the world. Maybe it's in your home. You see God at work in your home. Then be involved. Dads, don't be an absentee father. Moms, don't be a disconnected mother. Engage and get involved. That's waiting upon the Lord. Have you not known Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and not be weary and the young men shall utterly uh, fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Jesus put it this way when he's talking to his disciples. Luke chapter 12, he said, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open unto him immediately. 
Be ready. Be, be doing that thing that God calls you to do. It's not my business to, call, to name that for you. It's your business to ask the Lord, what would you have me to be doing that is actively waiting for your return that I know is coming and while I'm actively waiting to be waiting patiently? It is a delicate balance between getting, you know, uh, consumed by a work of the Lord and remembering that, no, I'm to be patient as I wait. Paul talked about this same waiting in Romans 8.23. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Have you ever just said, God, please, this is too much. I, I, please, come. It's, sometimes you don't have the words. It's a groan. And as a believer, if you are this morning, perhaps you're watching at home, I trust that maybe you are, that there's a groaning that goes on in your heart. God, please. Galatians 5, 5, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So I wanted to underscore that this morning because waiting patiently is something that we are to be. It's not necessarily a do. It, it involves waiting is active, but it's not passive. But that is what we are to be. We are to be patiently waiting. It's, it's, our, it's to be our personality. It's to be Christ in us, the hope of glory. But James goes one step further. As we talked about, his book is so filled with action words. He now goes on to explain to his reading audience what they are to do while they are patiently waiting. And if I could draw your attention to verse 9, there are nine things that he talks about the believers to do. The first is, in verse 9, do not grumble against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Don't grumble against somebody else. Don't grumble against others. That destructive speaking under your breath and that mental energy that goes toward just defaming and, and discounting and, and put someone, putting someone down. What we're to do is to not do grumbling. Secondly, we're to consider the patient examples of the prophets. Verse 10, if you'll read it with me. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Take, look at those prophets. I mean, we have minor prophets, major prophets, the 
former and latter. The minor prophets, of course, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. If you spend time getting to know those guys and what their lives were all about, you won't have uh, time to not be waiting patiently for the Lord. Their example is overwhelming. The major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, called to phenomenal things and yet given the power by the Spirit of God to wait until those things came to be. Thirdly, remember the Lord is compassionate. Verse 11, beautiful verse, he says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Remember that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Some of you that of us that are going through our Bible just started the book of Job and, and you know, what an amazing and deep and somewhat hard to reconcile and, and get uh, all the just of. I mean, it is a human illustration of the sovereignty of God. But in the end, we see that the Lord is, is compassionate and merciful. So what are we to do while we're being patient and waiting patiently, we are to be compassionate and merciful. Fourth, we're to be yes or no people. Uh, verse 12, he says, Above all, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Pastor, what does he mean by that? Uh, you know, I, I don't have a definitive answer because I, I found myself just recently, someone asked a very deep question. We were talking on the phone and I said, well, that's a yes and no question. <laughs> and yet, in, in the truth of that, there is, there's an application where your yes is yes and your no is no. In other words, don't waver between two sides, between two ways, between two opinions. Let your yes be yes. And your no be no. Sometimes that no is a line that you won't cross. Sometimes that yes is... is a fact of eternality that you do believe. Five, the fifth thing James talks about is prayer, which would seem very natural, right? In verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Stop right there. So that's, that's okay, I think um, all of us this morning would probably say, while I'm patiently waiting for the Lord to return, I will pray. Not a, not a huge you know, new revelation to anybody here this morning, right? In fact, many of you are 
engaged in that lifestyle of prayer. Love our women's ministry prayer on Tuesday morning, men's ministry prayer on Wednesday mornings, Sunday morning men's praying in the office, and all that goes on throughout the week with a lot of you servants of God just praying. But James says there's a sixth thing that goes along with that in the same verse, verse 13. He says, and is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Or if you're taking note, let him or her worship. Let him or her worship. In other words, one of the things that that the believer is to do while they're patiently waiting for the Lord to return is to be engaged in the act of worship. And this is something that strikes so close to my own heart and uh, my ministry. I've been a worship leader for, gosh, a long time. (laughs) What do I mean by worship leader? Well, I remember uh, years ago I was attending a four-square church, and I had just recently given my life to the Lord, and uh, Pastor Don Levy and Dolores down in, in Lodi, uh, Lodi. And I was so new and green in the Lord. And I remember um, him saying to me, you should lead us in worship. And I said, uh, what is that? What do you mean? He says, and he handed me a hymnal. And he said, just lead us in song. And so I I had my suit and my tie on, and I, I stood before the congregation, and I said, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And that's what I did. And I loved it, and I loved leading the congregation in song. And it wasn't long after that point in time that another guy that went to that church came over to my house one day, and he handed a six-string guitar in my here, have this. And next thing I know, I was listening to to worship music by people like Keith Green and others. And I realized that the beauty of the hymns never goes away, but there's a song of each generation. And and in that small environment, in that four-square church, I began to, to strum a guitar and lead people in worship. Ended up being a worship leader at Calvary Chapel over in Amador County, uh, led some acts of worship down in Costa Mesa, came here to Valley Springs, and the rest you know about. And it's always been my joy to raise up other worship leaders. It's such a joy having Teresa lead us in worship. Um, And now Chad's up here, and he's in the front. He's like, you know, very tenderly strumming, and he's going to be a front guy. I just know it. Raising others up. Why? Because, man, to get lost in worship. You know what the word means in the New Testament, right? Right? You've heard me say it before. It's a combination of two Greek words. Pros, which means forward. Kuneo, which is a kiss. So worship in the New Testament, pros kuneo, is throwing a forward kiss to God. And what a better way to wait for him to come. No better way. Don't grumble. 
Consider the example of the prophets. Remember the Lord's compassionate. Be yes or no people. Pray, worship. Seventh, he says, call for others to pray for you. Verse 14 and 15, he says, is anyone sick among you? Is any, I'm sorry, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And I, can, I will tell you simply this, that that doesn't happen very often. Where someone will actually call a, a, a leader in the church and say, will you come over and pray for me? I, I'm not feeling well. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the only way to pray for someone who's sick. We, we pray for people all the time who have been ill. You pray for them over the phone. You, you pray that for them in a prayer group. But there is a biblical dynamic in calling for an elder to come over and pray for you. I remember when I was in the hospital, uh, I didn't call Gino, but Gino and Joe showed up to anoint me with, he said, I'm going to anoint you with the Italian oil to sweat on my hands. <laughs> I love that. Call for others to pray for us. Number eight, be willing to share your faults with others for the purpose of prayer. Verse 16 and 18, he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the effect fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much be willing to share your faults with others for the purpose of them praying for you and the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man well you know so often I've met believers who in their walk with God well that you know count me out I'm not righteous wait time out from where do you get your righteousness is it from who you are or things you do or, or your upstanding role in the community? Absolutely not. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we are righteous, it is because Christ has clothed us in his righteousness so that the Father looks down and sees the blood of Jesus and declares us justified. So your prayer is effective. In Christ, you are righteous. I am righteous. And lastly, this morning, turn the wanderer back from their errors. Verse 19 and 20, he says, well, no, let's not skip 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah was a man. He was a human being that his, his prayer fervently affected much. Okay, lastly this morning, turning the wanderer back. Verse 19 and 20, he says, Brethren, if any... One among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back. 
Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I had to look up this word. Oftentimes it's a little different in the King James Version or in the Amplified. It's so, uh, so well, ex- well explained. But simply the word wanderer there means to roam from safety or the truth. To go astray, to be deceived. And when the scripture, the Holy Spirit employs the word turn, King James uses the word convert. So as we parenthetically put this together, he's saying if if you as a believer see someone that's starting to roam from a safe place in Christ, that they're starting to mix Truth with lie, truth with error, and they're they're going astray. Why? Because they're little by little by little by little getting deceived about what the truth of the word of God is, that we are to go to them. And in meekness and gentleness, by the Spirit of God using the word of God, seek to turn them back to a place of safety and truth in the Lord. Two essentials while we patiently wait is to be waiting patiently and to do not grumble against others. Consider the examples of the prophets. Remember the Lord is compassionate. Be yes or no people. Pray, worship, call for others to pray for you. Be willing to share your faults for the purpose of prayer and be ready to turn someone who has started to roam and wander back to the Lord. I think it's an amazing closure to this active book that James has given so much instruction to. But I would ask you this morning, is this what you are? And is this what you are doing? Is this what you are? Being patient and waiting patiently. Does that describe you or have you been, have you become consumed with all the turmoil of the world. There's, there's enough turmoil out there to just spin us around like a top. And yet I don't see that spinning really being effective in, in causing us to mature and grow in the Lord. We are to be, we are to know, we're to be knowledgeable, we're to be waiting patiently with an active waiting but to not be so consumed by the action that we've no longer become patient. Is that you? And then secondly, are you grumbling? Have you forgotten the example, the prophets? Have you forgotten that the Lord was compassionate with you? Have you begun to flip-flop from 
one side to another when he wants us to be firm in our yes and firm in our no? Are you a praying individual, a worshiping individual? Will you call elders to pray for you? Maybe someone this morning. Step forward after. Are you willing to share your faults with others and drop that wall and become transparent so that others in the body of Christ can pray for you? Maybe you have certain individuals that you're closer to. The Lord is calling us to that through his word this morning that we might turn those who have wandered back to him. Will you join me as we close in prayer? Teresa, will you come? Chad? Jen? We'll have them repeat Refiner's Fire in closing, but join me in prayer, will you? Lord, we, we see these words. We read these words. We hear these words spoken to us and we recognize that these words are yours. They have come from the throne of heaven. They have been made a holy writ and yet they are alive. And the Spirit of God can cause these things to be made known to us and to be made part of us. Jesus, this world is out of control. And if ever there was a time we want you to come and return, it's now. And yet, you have others in mind. So Lord, we can't do this in our own strength. This must be a work of your spirit that causes us to be a patient, waiting person, Christian, believer, a patient, waiting body of believers. And that as we look at that list of the things we're to not do and do, that you would place your finger on the area that you want to emphasize in my life and in our lives today. We trust you to do it, Lord. We trust you to do it today. In Jesus' name we pray.